John chapter 4 verse 16. Truly one of the greatest mysteries I guess we could ever be able to be a partaker of. Now the king would condescend to such a level to be able to come to us that he might make us him. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. I'll just jump down to verse 23 and 24. The hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father, in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must, not perhaps, possibly, if you want to, if your church does, but they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, there's millions of people that have gathered all over the world today under the auspices of worshiping God. But I wonder how many of them, the Lord Jesus, actually could receive their worship. Because some are worshiping in spirit. They have a lot of emotion, good music, good singing, uh, all that. And no doubt the anointing is there among them. Some of them have all truths and they focus on truths, but they really don't want any anointing, no presence of God. I wonder even in our message churches around the world that have gathered today. Now let's bring it on down to our church. How many of us here today will the Lord Jesus be able to receive our worship because we worshiped him in spirit and in truth? We offered it to him from the sincerity of our hearts, but with understanding. And because we are not in this building here today, but we are in the spirit and in the truth. Let's bow our heads together if you would. Father, it's an awesome thought to think about that as we've assembled here once again today, which we've done 
so many, many times since we built this place and dedicated it to you many years ago. Yet, Lord, we don't want it to become tradition that we gather here on Sunday morning or Saturday or Wednesday. and It's just something that we do as a routine. For we know that's what the children of Israel got to a place to where they did. No doubt initially as they received the atonement of an innocent lamb and they were so grateful and so happy that you had made a way for them. But in time, it became ritualistic. It became common. It became just something they did over and over again. No feeling, no sincerity, no real tug of their heart. Lord, I pray that you would help us, that we would never come to such a place. Lord Jesus, that we would just make it a tradition. Okay, well, we're going to church, and after church, we'll go here and eat, and we'll do this. It's our regular routine. May church never be a regular routine. May it always be so precious to us, Father, that we come under anticipation waiting for you to meet with us. Would you take your word today and speak to us? Anoint us fresh with the logos of your own being, we ask in Jesus' name. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> so as the church of the living God, as the people of the book, we believe that we've been called to a great place in him by his mercy, not anything, of course, that we could ever do or purchase or work our way into, but simply the grace of God that has been given to us. As the church, we know that we're not the church by coming to this place or any other building and saying, well, I belong to church. We might belong to a, an assembly. We might belong to a group of people and have our name on their book, as it were, but we know that does not make us the church. We are the church being baptized into that mystical body of the bride of Christ. And that is only one way in and no way out. One way in and no way out. That is that we're baptized by the Holy Ghost. So we don't join it. We're not talked into it. And therefore we can never be talked out of it. Because once you're in, you don't want out. It was him who pulled you in and him by his grace will keep you from ever going out. But we, when we look at see what God actually has done for us to bring us to this place, and we know that it cost him such a tremendous price in order to set us free from who and what we were, initially by our nature. Looking at it last night, and for those of you that wasn't with us last night, the Lord led me to go back in the direction that we were looking at Wednesday instead of um, going back into our thought of what we've been looking at about peace and um, last night I couldn't get over it again this morning, so I felt in my heart to go back that way again today. So would you see what the Lord has for us today? But if you'd go with me in our minds, we'd like to venture back to the time when our Lord came upon the earth and his advent. And knowing that there had never been a creature, nothing had ever existed on the earth quite like him. The closest thing to him would have been the original Adam, yet not exactly like him. 
For Adam was a spirit being first, placed in the lower creations of God, as we looked at it last night, and then became the embodiment of flesh. And then whatever it was that he had, the image of God that God gave him, Adam was able to relinquish that or fall away from that and be able to forfeit his rights to everything that God gave him. And yet the Lord Jesus in his advent would come in a similar path. Unlike Adam, he had existed before. He had appeared and disappeared. It was him that Moses saw. It was him that took communion with Abraham. It was him that Jacob had wrestled with. It was him that Manoah and his wife had seen at the Annunciation of the coming Son. So we can see so many different appearances of Christ. For it was Christ that Moses chose to suffer the reproach of Christ in the wilderness rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. But none of them saw him in his human appearance that would come years later. They saw him as he would take up the 16 elements of the earth and breathe the breath of life into a human body, step into that body, and once that purpose was fulfilled out of that body, that he would step out of it and it would just go back down to the ground. But none of them had seen what we were fixing to see at the breaking of the New Testament. They no doubt had an idea of what they saw. They could take the scriptures and try to put them together. And they had come up with an idea, a theological idea of what they thought the Messiah would be. He would be a serpent bruiser. He would be uh, Emmanuel. He would be born of a virgin somehow. No doubt they didn't understand it. So they had put different quotes together from the prophets. And they thought they had a, a conjecture at least of what they thought he would be. But when he came, he was so different than what even the elect had surmised. <clears throat> so his advent, we must give them the benefit of the doubt that God had left it that way. Because Satan himself must also be held in the dark as it was. That he would not fully comprehend what God was going to do. <clears throat> The mystery of it was that his strain would come across the divine and the human in such a way that it would be completely co-equal. It would be a creation that had never quite existed before. It would be, as I've been referring to uh, from the book of Job, what Job called a daysman, D-A-Y-S-M-A-N. And that was one which could breach the gap. One which would be a mediator. One which would be able to relate to both sides. So here is two sides of an argument. And one of them, of course, the human side, they have their faults, they have their shortcomings, and they have, as it were, their complaint as it was against God. Then from the divine side, God saying, but I have my side. I have my complaints against man. Man forfeited my word. He forfeited the rights that I gave him. 
So how is this argument ever going to be settled? Job in his frustration, Job had questions. Job had things he didn't understand. And he was actually searching for one that could place his hand on the divine and place his hand on the human aspect and be able to be the daysman, the one which would set the day, which is where the word daysman come from, to where he would set the day by which this conference would be held and hopefully an agreement would be met with both sides. So both sides would be able to vent their side of the argument. And the argument would be able to be settled. Now both sides were not on speaking terms as it was with the other. So you needed a daysman. One that would be able to say, all right, God, what is your side? What is your problem? What is your complaint? Man, what is your side? What is your complaint? What are your issues? And then the mediator would hear both, and the mediator would venture back and forth between the two. Now, that is a very dangerous spot to be. As a pastor, I get caught there constantly. I get caught between husbands and wives. I get caught between parents and children. I get caught between pastors and their assemblies. Constantly around the world, I get caught in this dilemma. It is a very treacherous position to hold because you stand the the possibility of being fired at and hated and misunderstood from both sides. Absolutely. Because both sides want you to see their side. And they want you to take sides with them. Because both of them are feel like that you have something to be able to represent their case. And both sides have confidence in you. And they believe you have an influence. So they want you to be able to convey their side with your favor. Now listen to me. They want you to be able to reflect their side with your favor. So they are looking for you to take your favor and flavor their side with your favor. That's a lot of avers, ain't it? Favor and flavor. And so, and, and then they want you to be the savior, of course. And here Job was looking at it in the same way that God, I need, I, I need to talk to you, but I feel like you're not, you're not relating to me. And you're not understanding the way that I feel. And God, of course, could come back to Job and say, but Job, where were you? And you don't understand. And Job, you're, you know, you're born in sin and this and that. And Job said, well, we're not getting, we're not getting anywhere. We're just not getting anywhere. Is there no daysman? Is there no mediator that could go between me and God? Is there nothing that could spread the breach between the divine and the human? I believe that there was a great call in Job's heart. I believe that call has been there since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden myself. I believe the call is still there today in our own lives, not only when we have issues and we have to call for a pastor, a minister, or, you know, a deacon or whatever more to try to intervene when there becomes a misunderstanding or something between us and we're looking for someone to help resolve that. I believe there's something in us in the natural and in the spiritual. 
And yet God knew when man had bridged this gap and it was not on the fault of the divine by which this gap was even made initially. But God knowing because he had brought the man and condescended the man himself by design from the lower creation of God. Now remember the first was out of the eternal comes this white light. It deforms itself toward flesh so it comes in the form of the Logos. From the Logos it comes into the form of Theophany. Then it comes into the visible appearances which would appear, disappear and then uh, eventually coming down to flesh. And then out of this Logos comes the original man of Genesis 1.26. But then God lowered that man of Genesis 1.26 to become the man of Genesis 2-7. Now this was not by choice of the man, by desire, but it was by design. Since it was by design of the creator himself, and he's the one who placed the man on this level, knowing the man would fall. Now not making the man fall, but knowing he would. Then he must also have had a way made before the man ever fell. Since it was by his design that the man came there. Now if the man would have remained in the image of Genesis 1.26, there would have been never been a fall. There would have never been a Calvary. There would never been a Savior. There would have been no need for one. But since by design God stepped him down from the position where he could never fall into the position where he could fall and would fall. So then the redemption cycle must be set in motion, not by the man who fell, but by him who by his own design allowed the man. Now keep this in your mind, it's very important, that he allowed the man, not made the man, not forced the man, but allowed the man to do so by his own free moral agency. Then he must be the one to set the cycle of redemption back in motion in order to bring the man back. Knowing that once the man crossed the chasm, it actually wouldn't even be in the man any longer to even truly and sincerely want to get back. That the man, Adam proved that in the Garden of Eden instead of saying, Father, 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 please help me, please help me. After man fell from that place and the holy image of God left him, then man goes into the cycle of fending for himself. You can see why the law, whether the, the mission of the Torah, you know, given the first five books of the Old Testament, it was not in man to be able to really keep all of that. It was not in him. He could never do it. Not one man ever kept the law. And it was never in his flesh to be able to do it because the man, once he crosses that, it leaves him in this unregenerate state. And the law does not impart any life-changing factor within the nature, which was the soul. So God must make a way in order to bring the man back. Now, how is the divine ever going to spread this gap between God on this side and man on this side in this big chasm here in between and it cannot be an angel because an angel can never really relate to a man it cannot be a man because every man that was born was born under the penalty of the law so it must be a creature a creation which is so unique that it can actually come from heaven and come from earth at the same time and it must feel for both sides. It must, re oh hallelujah. It must relate. It must know. It must be so human 
that it can feel every aspect of humanity and yet it must be so divine that it can represent the divine's call, the divine's feelings, the divine's complaints against the human. You understand where I'm going? But there was no such a creature. So God made one. Now Jesus was not a God God. Nor was he a man man. He was a God man. Praise God. Now notice now he was not a God God in saying that the deity inside of him was absolutely God. And Jesus Christ's deity being expressed on the earth, his humanity never took away one iota from the deity that he was before the foundation of the world. But it could not be a God-God by saying that, I mean, that God, that his flesh was actually God and remained God because the flesh of God could never become sin. So it must be the mystery that would unfold itself that it would be the divine and the human brought together in the very same creation. So it must be a God-man. Not a God-God or a man-man, but a God-man. It must be both human and divine in the same creation. And there was no such of creature. There could never be one birthed by a woman. There could never be one brought through the loins of a man. There was no such a thing. So God himself projected his own divine character in the extension of creation to produce this special creation called the God-man. Now, whatever this cycle sets in motion, he must veil the mystery of the God-man when the God-man comes on the earth so that Satan won't fully understand it and pick up what God is doing to try to mess up the program of God. So death must be embodied in this God-man, but God can't die. Sickness must be felt and embodied in the God-man, but God can't be sick. But this is where it divides from the supernatural to the natural. So once the supernatural becomes vision, and then the vision is, is be able to transject it or interpose into the image, then the supernatural can feel and taste death for all those natural ones which are not yet fully redeemed. Now, let's go this journey this morning, shall we? You want to go with me? Now, notice then, so Satan, as he's hanging on the cross, and Satan, I love the way Brother Branham allows this, and he allocates that death is sort of like a bee, that it has this stinger, and that the, the stinger is going to be sunk into the flesh of the Lord Jesus. Notice this, he said, when he stung that flesh it pulled his stinger out he has no more stinger he was God in flesh tabernacling among men his stinging days praise God 
are over. Oh, but she said, but Brother Donnie, we'll still have Christians that pass away. That's right, but they all pass without being stung. They're not stung to death. Their bodies go to sleep. The sting of death, my friends, is over. It has absolutely been annihilated. But remember, the divine cannot die. God cannot die. So it was not the fatherhood that took the penalty of death on the cross. It was the father, the invincible, living in the embodiment of the son or the flesh or the human, praise God, in order that the divine might be able to suffer in the natural realm. Now what's this? He said that's why God had to reflect himself into a body which is we know as the son of God Jesus Christ. And he did that so he could take away the penalty. Now remember God is not going to just turn his eye like we do to our kids sometimes and we do to our grandkids. Oh that's all right. They can't do nothing wrong. No God is just. And God's not going to just say well I'll just call my elect and that's all right. They've got problems and, and they've got sin and they still got the sin nature but that's okay no that's not okay God is not going to allow one of his children to walk down the streets of gold with sin nature it will not be allowed to come through the gates of the paradise of God so sin nature must be dealt with how can it be dealt with when every person that comes on the earth is born under the penalty of death so how can one under the penalty of death stand for another one under the same penalty totally impossible but there must come a human which is free from the penalty of death which can suffer the penalty of death for all the rest of those under the penalty of death and say take their sin, take their wrongdoing, take everything they've done and lay it on me because I'm free from death. Oh, thank you Lord Jesus. Notice this, paragraph 76, he was Emmanuel, he was the son of God, which is Jehovah God, made manifest in his attributes of displaying, listen to what he describes this, displaying himself in a body that he built himself. Now this is why the body is termed son. But you know, friend, I understand whenever we read this in the New Testament that for many people, this very single word called son stumbles so many because they look at the word son and they in their mind, because all we know is natural elements many times, and they identified as a father and his boy. So instead of looking at it as God's humanity or God's logos, they look at an older man and a younger boy and they look at the progenitive power that lays in man and then they think here comes this other being outside of this old man and it's a separate being. It is not. It's one and the same. (laughs) So God built this body himself. And there was never, as I said, there was never one like it. And there would never quite be one like it again. Actually, we received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The fullness of the Godhead body does not dwell in me. I only have a portion, as it were. So if I take this and I take out a drop, or I have a measure of 500,000 gallon, if it's made of the same batch, the same chromium, the same potassium, the same sodium levels, and so on and so on, will be in the drop as it would 500,000 gallons. So I got the Holy Ghost, you got the Holy Ghost, I got a drop, you got a drop, he got the whole vat. 
That's right. The fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelt in him. And yet at the same time, he was so much God, he could calm the seas. He could raise the dead. He could bring back to life. But he was so much man, he could groan with a headache. Can you imagine hell was in constant turmoil for three and a half years trying to figure out who this was? Is he a man? Is he a prophet? Is he an angel? Is he God? Who in the world is this guy? Aren't you glad you're still not asking the same question? Well, some of you are because you still don't understand the Godhead, so you're still trying to figure it out. Well, amen. Now, notice this. God, notice what God did. This then is the display of his attributes, displaying himself in a body that he built himself. So being that he was the Father, the invisible Father God, Spirit God, then he built this body, this human body, by creative words. So Jesus then became the creative Son of God. I'm talking about the human part. And then the divine comes inside and lives inside that body and the church said notice he said and the sinful nature of a man could not do the thing that he did see so it had to be God making and reflecting himself in the man making a mirror that we might see that perfect man now, Jesus was tempted with women and drinking and all kinds of problems as far as a human but he never sinned one time Jesus never lost his temper. Jesus never had to say, I'm sorry. Jesus never had to repent. He was sinless. Sinless. Notice, doing this that reflected his noble, loving character. See, in him was attribute as Savior. It had to display itself and be a natural born man. Notice, oh my, being a natural born man was what his projection was. He said he had to, could not be a Savior and be a natural born man. So God could not save us then if Jesus was just a natural born man by sex desire, which many people believe that he was, and that God chose him and to gave his blood. No, then he was born of sex desire. Then he was no more than I am. He had to be more than a man. And he was. He was the only one that could do this in so much that he was sinless by nature. Notice again, he says, God become flesh when he represented or when he displayed himself to the earth in the form of his humanity or in the form of his son or in the form of the special created body. You know, it just baffles me why folks struggle with that because God in the Old Testament told Moses, let them build me a tabernacle. So they go to get in the gold, the silver, the blue, the purple, the badger skin, all these things together. And they get the cunning workmen and the artificer in brass and so on. And they bring them all together and they build and they build and they build and they build and they finally get it done. And then Moses dedicates it and guess what? God enters inside the tabernacle. What is so hard to understand about that? Well, parallel it now to the coming of the Lord Jesus. And whenever God by his creative word spoke a blood cell into the womb of of Mary and then God took another cell, another cell, another cell, another cell and created this body inside this dirt. 
God sowed his seed inside this dirt called Mary. Mary had nothing to do with him at all. He had not one drop of her blood. He was nothing like her. He didn't have her eyes, her ears, or her nose. Amen. She was not the mother of God. Praise the Lord. She was only an incubator. So if you can imagine a baby being placed inside of an incubator to grow, just that's exactly what Mary was like. So God took one element of his word, another, 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 and then God built this body, and God let this body be born of a woman. He let this body grow up instead of being like the tabernacle in the wilderness when they completed it and God come in. God allowed this body as a human to grow. This is all part of the process of becoming the daysman for the divine and the human. Oh, praise God. So he grows up as a 12-year-old boy. We see him. I must be about my father's business. He disappears. We see him reappear again. John the Baptist. We see him go to the wilderness. We see the fullness of the Godhead bodily come down in the river. Praise the Lord. And fill him there. Then we see him as he begins his earthly ministry. What happened? Father God built himself a special human tabernacle and then father actually stepped inside the tabernacle himself and he was a God man notice this God became flesh when he represented when he displayed himself to the earth in the form of his son the person of Jesus the son of God God displayed himself in that person. Did not Jesus say, my father and I are one. My father dwelleth in me. It's not me that doeth the works. It's my father. He dwells in me. I have no control of my own. He does that. So God was in his house. Notice this, then Jesus came and called. Everybody ready? Okay. Why are you waiting on me? I'm waiting on you. Get your defibrillators out. Get your blood pressure pills. Jesus is the body, the boy. The man. God. God was what dwelt in him. God was in him. He was a God man. So Jesus is the body, the boy, the man. God dwelt in him. Oh my goodness. Some of the internet people probably just nearly fell out on their couch. He was a God man. He was a man, yet he was God manifested in the flesh. When we see Jesus, we see God. That's right. That's what he said. When you see the Father, when you see me, he said you see the Father because he was the reflection. Because he was the Word. Amen. That was in the beginning. Amen. Oh my. So he was a God man. So sometimes it would be Jesus talking and sometimes it would be the Father talking. 
Jesus groaned with a headache, but God don't have a head, so he can't have headaches. Jesus could get weary. God can't get weary because God is the eternal. (laughs) Now, watch this. I love this in the masterpiece. In order to be smitten himself because to pay his own penalty, God and Christ became one. So God could be smoked in the image. He could be scarred. Now listen, so God, now God is a spirit cannot be touched. God is invisible, spirit cannot feel pain, but God wanted to feel it. So he's got to make himself a house and let this house be beaten and whipped and tortured and tormented so the image can feel it in the natural image. The God man. As I told you last night, I've been Trinitarian and Jesus only. Some of you are Jesus only, but you just don't know you're Jesus only. Because you make him God, God. And some of you don't like it when I go this way, do you? You know why you don't like it? Because you believe in error. Now, I'm not standing up here telling you Donnie Reagan said, Donnie Reagan said, I'm reading this from the same prophet's message that you all cry tears from when you like these quotes. Oh, my. Notice, so God could be smote in the image, he could be scarred. That's why Isaiah said we did esteem him smitten and afflicted of God. He was wounded for our transgression. Don't you see the daysman stood in the middle between God and man? He suffered the wrath of both God and man. God cannot smite himself. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our feast was upon him. With his stripes we were healed. The perfect image. The God man. This is who I am right here. I'm not yet fully there, but I'm on my way. You know what the change is going to do for me and you? Consummate this quote right here. The God people. (laughs) Woo! Praise God. The perfect image, the God man. God immorphe had changed from supernatural to the vision. And the vision was projected Uh Uh-huh. Everybody turn your eyes this way, please. This white box right here that says Hitachi on the bottom is what? A projector. What is it doing for you? It's allowing you to read with me. So it is projecting right here where you can see it. Now, it won't do no good if there's nothing back here to reflect the image. (laughs) So it 
it would be supernatural or it would be invisible. I could be sitting here reading it on my iPad. I've got a monitor right here in this pulpit. I could be reading it off of there and yet they're projecting it and there's nothing there to catch it. And I'm saying, you all see it? And you say, no, I don't see it. I don't see what you're saying. Well, why don't you see it? The projector is projecting it because I can see it in the screen. And you say, well, I still don't see it. Well, I said, what's the matter with y'all? Can't you all see? But it's up to us to put something here to be able to project what oh glory to God hallelujah to be able to project it so you can see it we couldn't see God we couldn't understand God but God gave us a God man hallelujah and God could project I hear it from people all the time. Brother Donnie, thank you for putting up that screen and putting the quotes and scriptures up so we can read them. Because it means so much more to us. Really. Really. Oh, well, does it prove it to you farther that I'm not, that I'm not making these up? No, for most of you, you don't need that. You trust me. It's not you're doing it because of the trust factor, but your eyes focusing on these words and you reading them and reading them. And you say, oh my, praise God, because the image is coming back into you. Hallelujah. So it's changed from the supernatural to the vision of what God had. And the vision is projected into the image. And the image was smitten. So the supernatural could taste the feeling of death. Glory to God. God's perfect masterpiece. But I wonder this morning if we would be able to catch an image and if we could project an image on this screen of a man who was beaten so bad that he would look like a butchered animal. His head so swollen, his lips so swollen, his his mouth so parched and dry. I wonder if we would say, wow, what a masterpiece. You've ever seen any of Da Vinci's work or Rembrandt or any of those great men and look in the museums which I've been privileged to stand around the world and look at many of the masters and their great work, how well it's guarded behind glass, how they watch over them and there they are painted in the 1540s and you know the 1670s and all that and you think wow how men were able to make this and man terms it a masterpiece. And you look at the blues and the sky and you look at the the tumultuous ocean and so on. It's projected. But yet if we could see our Lord Jesus hanging there this morning, it would not be a beautiful picture in the eyes of the most of the world. Probably for a lot of us, it would make us sick to our stomach. If we'd ever be able to catch the real vision, it wouldn't look like a masterpiece to us, but it did to Father God. He could not do it in Moses. He could not do it in the prophets. Isaiah who was sawed with saws until he was sawed to pieces. 
He could not do it in the prophets that were stoned. He could not do it because he couldn't feel it. Sure, Isaiah had a part of him. Moses had a part of him. But he needed a daysman, a God-man that could feel. But in this perfect masterpiece, he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He could not only project Moses, he could project his entire being into this person. Moses would have been like a little tiny corner down here on the side of this screen. And David would have been another little tiny corner, but it's all made up of patchwork. So you sow this to this and sow this to that. And what do you got? Lines and, you know, you got all these spots and this and that and the other. But here was the image being projected into the screen called a God man. There's no way for you to catch the image unless those brothers take that remote back there or it's done on this wall. And this screen condescends from the place which it is held in. And once that button is pushed and the screen condescends and drops down, It might stay dropped down for 30 years. It may drop down for 30 years without the image being projected to it. But when the masterpiece sermon or word or quote is projected on the computer being hooked up up here, then all of a sudden the image comes clear and the word is made manifest then you can see it with your eyes. It becomes so real we can almost taste it in our mouths. So Haggai, Zerubbabel, Zephaniah, Malachi, but it was all stitched together. But God said no. I want my image projected in such perfection. I'll produce one screen. So God pushed the button as we'd say. And it went. could not only project Moses he could project his entire being into this person and taste death for the whole human race God's masterpiece God so inspired by seeing it so your father God he looks it's what I wanted I'm so inspired by 
smiled. The image will speak. God was so inspired by seeing it. He become the redeemer. Of all ages. You think Calvary was so powerful. It worked from then to now. You need to rewind. Calvary didn't just work from then to now. It worked from Adam up. Praise be to God. It's what they was looking for. It's what every lion testified about. He didn't just become the redeemer for the first age and seven church ages. He was the redeemer from the fall of Adam till the last mortal takes the breath of life. He become the redeemer of all ages to speak for those in the backgrounds who had been before and now. It ain't no wonder Ezekiel then went to the door down there in paradise and when he answered the door he said, Job, come here. Oh, Abraham, come here. Rebecca, come here. Praise God. And in order for this to speak, he is the word. And for the word to speak, he must come to the image. And then for the image to speak, it's got to be smitten. So you remember the story that he's taking this from, from Michelangelo, where he makes this figure of Moses. And when he gets it down to where he's almost finished, as he steps back and look at it, how many hours, months, weeks, years, however long it was in making it and molding it, starting out with maybe a block chisel, chiseling off big chunks, and then he kept going down in size and his tools till he got it down so small that he's rubbing that marble, polishing it. If you've ever seen that image, it's breathtaking. Absolutely breathtaking to this very day. And then when he does, he steps back and he looks at it. And what he saw in the rock finally matched the vision. So the vision, amen, the vision of what he saw was now before him. And he takes his hammer and strikes it on the knee and said, speak. The, the, the image becomes so matched with what he saw, he thought it must be alive. Glory to God. The prophet said to me, what made it the masterpiece was a piece of marble that was knocked out of the knee. Now when he preaches this, he said, let us close the pages now of the book 
and Michelangelo. Let us open the pages of the great sculptor. He had a little tiny work called Moses, but he lost his temper and got in trouble. Couldn't go over in the land. He had another one called David. Fell for another man's wife. Had a man killed. Right? On and on and on we could go. Then God, God said, I need a daysman. There is none. I must make a special work. And it only be right and fair if I step into the image myself since I'm the one who gave the penalty. I'm the one who gave the penalty of this death upon man. I'm the one who brought him to the spot. I must take it myself. But I'm God. I'm the eternal. I cannot die. So I'll make a body. And I will step into it. And then I will smite my own body. I will smite the body myself and I will feel my own infliction. I will feel my pain. For the image to speak, it's got to be smitten. He comes into the image that in order to speak the perfect redeemer, all the types of the Old Testament was met in him, as I said the other day, Jehovah, the Old Testament, is Jesus of the new. What's Romans 8, 2? For the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own message. You see, every time I preach here at the church, I will send a copy of these scriptures and quotes. I'll send them to the library. I'll send them to Brother Michael. And I'll send a copy to myself just in case it gets lost in cyberspace and the only ones that can open that are those who are connected with the right address See, most of you never even knew that did you you never even know that we've done that Brother Joe and some of the others did because they're familiar with the, how that it works but every service they get that Every service, and sometimes they'll call me urgently with this voice, you know, this person, brother, we didn't get the notes. Oh, no, oh, no. So if you've seen me leave out here at times at 1030 in the morning, flying out like a bullet and flying back, it's because they didn't get your thoughts, your words. They was going to be robbed of your blessing. So I'll go back home and I'll resend it. <laughs> Hallelujah. And by resending it, you're re-blessed. God was determined nobody will steal my people. I will send Moses. I'll resend my word. I'll resend my word. I'll resend.
send my word until one day the image will come. God sending his own text, his own email, his own private message. The Lord Jesus did not come from heaven a man, a little boy. He was sent in the format of word form. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. You see, when I send these notes here to the brothers, they get them in the format of Microsoft Word. Ah, but you see, when I send them to myself, I send them in the form of PDF. In order to be able to reflect it in the way that I want to see it, if I try to do it in Microsoft Word in a document on this iPad, then if I touch the thing, it can go up from page one to page 35. I got enough problems the way it is. So by putting it in PDF, I'm able to touch the side of the screen, touch the side of the screen, touch the side of the screen, just in case I get really excited. So I don't lose my place. So God wanted to send the whole format, but he said, no, I've got to do it profit by profit, page by page, law, Mishnah, Torah, prophecy by prophecy by prophecy. Let's just forget dinner. Let's just make an extra long service. <laughs> Love the way Paul says this. God sending. His own son, which was not a man, but the Logos. If you're the word and you give birth, what do you reckon you'll give word birth to? A word son. Jesus didn't come from heaven as a man. That man part was created on the earth. Why should it confuse you, friends? This is what had a day it started. That body, that human element had a day it started, had a day it died. But once it raised from the dead, it'll never die again. What a program. Look at this. God sending his own son. Have any of y'all ever sent the wrong text to the wrong person? Really? That's really hard to explain whenever you send your best friend, I love you, sweetheart, and he's a man. I get those oops all the time, don't you? Sorry, wrong person. I have to answer back. I understand. But God never sends wrong texts. But notice what God did do. God sending. Sending his own message, word. In God-man format. 
God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He never had sinful flesh. Don't you go there. I'll cut your nose off with this sword. Ah, you ain't going there. He did not live in sinful flesh. But it looked like sinful flesh. This is the reason why. Listen as it goes on. God sending his own son to the inbox of the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin. Condemned sin. In the flesh. How could a sinner ever condemn sin in their own flesh with innocence when we're conceived in it? This is why you'll never get your body perfect. But God could send a text, a word message, the original word document. So God could send the inbox of the field into the receiver on the earth, which was not born in sin. And the Son of God could click on it and open it up. And the message was included. But it said, destroy sin in your body. Take your wife's sins to yourself. There was one constant impediment in the way of the law. And it was that it had to be carried out by human beings. No matter how great the law was, no matter how wonderful it was, it had to be carried out by human beings which were born imperfect. That's why man can never keep a conditional covenant. Why? Because man has temptation and all these vices buried in his human nature. But God sending his own logos inside of his own humanity inboxed him and said take her sin upon you P.S. but when you do I will curse you as a sinner and you will not die the death of a righteous man I know that shakes us. Do you understand? Jesus Christ did not die the death as a righteous person, but as a sinner. He never done one thing wrong. He never said one thing wrong. He never yielded to one temptation. But he took our sin upon himself. 
Notice Isaiah 53.10. Yet it pleased the Lord. How can this be? How could the invisible be pleased to bruise him? He has put him to grief. Don't you see where he's at? The Romans are killing him. The Jews hated him. And now here is God, the Father, the invisible. He's the daysman in between both. Man spit in his face, crucified him. Now God the Father turns and pours out his wrath on the screen. And it pleased the projector to bruise the screen. He has put him to grief when thou shalt make his. No lamb could ever offer his soul. Man had soul problems. But a lamb couldn't fix a soul problem with chemistry. So God had to produce a lamb that had a soul. Glory to God. Don't you see why you must be changed from the soul out? To make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. His hands. He shall see you the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant. Jesus is Jehovah's servant in service for death. I just quoted you a quote. You want the date? Therefore, Will I divide him a portion with the great? And he, glory to God. Don't you see? Once you see the truth of the crucifixion, it don't stop with him. It unfolds down to you. Here's God speaking by Isaiah of the prophecy of the crucifixion of our Lord. But he does not stop with Jesus. He unfolds it down to his wife. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. 
because he has poured out his soul. Friends, don't you understand why Jesus, as a man, had to have a will? Why would you stumble over such? Father, not my will, but yours be done. He cannot be a robot. He cannot be a special creation alienated of a human will. It would be unfair to you. Because he knew you would deal with your human will even after you had the Holy Ghost. So he must embody the human will. And it must be there down to the final breath. I hope you understand this. This is one reason God sent him to hell as a sinner. Because he, from his will, embraced your sins. Adam, from his will, embraced Eve's unbelief. Then Jesus could not be a robot. He could not be a robot without a will like a computer that I program it to do this or that. It could not be so. He must have a will. And he must choose. And he chose. He was not made to do it. Don't you understand why he don't want you to be made to live right, made to go to church, made to worship. He wants you to do it because you love him. He has poured out his soul. Excuse me, I'm to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin. Now let's read it like the Bible says it. What do you say? Of who? Not everybody? And made intercessors for the transgressors. Hebrews 10, 6, And burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. But when God looks at the image projected on the screen. God finally looks at that and has pleasure. Not pleasure in suffering, but pleasure that the suffering will lead to the annihilation of the sin cause. Let's stand. We're not going to be able to finish it. Let's stand. Galatians 3.13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. You see, had that flesh been, had it been a God-God God could never take sin in his own body. But since it was the mystery of the God-man, he could take that sin into his human body and be made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles 
through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brother Bram said, Jesus did not do anything while he was here on earth in the way of performing signs and wonders. Until the Father showed him a vision on what to do. Chase back down through the Bible of the prophets and find out if it wasn't the same thing. We've had the wrong slant. Even the flesh of Jesus couldn't glory in the presence of God. Well, nay, man, says a lot of bug eyes. It's all right. Go ahead and tell him, Lord, I need help. Lord, I need help. If he ever opens it up to you, and you'll be able to see that is not taking away from our Lord at all. It's finally, finally arriving at the position where he brought himself to 2,000 years ago. We're only 2,000 years behind in seeing this. No flesh could glory in his presence. Don't you understand what he done when he raised him from the dead? That body, that body was able to rise out of that grave. And if you know the Middle Eastern custom, you know whenever the man of the house, the father of the man was called away from a meal, the way he, what he'd done with the position of the napkin related whether it's done or not. If he laid that napkin in a certain place, you better not come get his hamburger. You'll be hamburger for lunch tomorrow. Where he placed that napkin had a lot to do with whether he was done or not. When they walked in and found the napkin of the Lord Jesus laid where it was, it was the sign the master said, it's done. Hallelujah, death is done. The sin question is done. And what did God do? God the Spirit, God the Father, if you will, give life to that body. When Jesus come alive, friends, there he had scars in his hands, and he still looked, hope you can understand this, if God would have only given him life, he would still have gray in his beard. He would have had gray in his hair, and he looked like a 50-year-old man. Jesus was the first one to experience the New Testament change. was changed what did God do he raised that body that body that had hang on a cross that body which had lived like a human and the spirit of God changed that body into an eternal state that ought to make you shout that's what he's fixing to do to you No flesh could go in his presence until it's resurrected. When he changed, when he changed the us, we'll be mortals. Maybe it'll be on Monday morning, Tuesday morning. Who knows when it'll be? We'll be carrying out our daily activities. And all of a sudden, They're all gone. Ah. Ah. This 
body that five minutes ago I might have been down on my knees. Oh God, please. God, please help us. Lord Jesus, we're going through such difficulty. Oh God, help us. And in a moment, my body is changed and I'm getting together in the other dimension. And I see all the rest of you. And you see me. And we're getting together with the rest of the group coming up missing on the earth. And the devils are saying, where did they go? Where did they go? They was there a while ago, now they're gone. And them bodies, that body, which has been your enemy. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God. My body don't like me now. My body don't care for me sometimes. Because I tell it to shut up. I tell it to do this. I tell it it ain't going to do that. But one of these days, it's going to hug me inside out. It's going to thank me because, oh, (laughs) hallelujah, I am leading my body to the change from the soul. You imagine like that. And we will enter into bodies, these bodies, eternal life and an eternal body. Never die. Never age. Praise God. Thank God for the projector. Thank God for the word. Thank God for Jesus. Praise God. Heavenly Father, how great you are. We're overwhelmed by your great presence, Lord. What a story. What a story the gospel story is. It's truly the greatest story that has ever been told. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can believe it today. Lord, when we're living in an age of intellectual faith and people are being shaken right and left, not sure if they believe in the message no more, not sure if they believe in the prophet, not sure if they believe in the Bible, not sure what they believe. But we're so glad, Lord, that we're marching right on. We're not even slowing down. Praise God. Oh, God, I pray if there's one here today that the supernatural has never stepped into their image. There's more to this sermon today, Lord, that we could go on with the projector. Thank you for dropping that in a while ago, Lord. I had never even thought of such a thing, but thank you. It was special to us. Thank you, Lord. Then we can see, Father, that if we can really get our lives where you want them to be, you ascended up into heaven, so your screen of life was taken up to sit on the throne. Now it's our turn, and our screen as it was. Father God is projecting the words on our lives. Oh, Jesus, may people see you and me, Lord. Help me that I can get out of the way. Lord, no matter how hard I try, I know I'll never be like you were and you don't demand me to. But I want to be able to be everything that I can be. I'm given a small small portion, I know that. There's many great, great men that are given so much more than me, but I don't really worry about small and large and big and all that. What I worry about and concern about is fulfillment. 
I want to fulfill what you have for me. I want the vision of your life to be able to be projected into me and that I live it out. Lord, if I go by the way of the grave, that I'll be able to fold my hands that day and sleep as my body sleeps and my soul moves on. I'll not leave in shame, humiliation, or degradation of sin. But the brothers will be able to stand over my body as it rolls up here, Father, and say, He fought a good fight. He kept the faith. Truly, Lord, I think that's what every child of God desires. But, Lord, I hope I'm alive when that change comes. Praise God. Help us today, Jesus, I pray. Minister to every heart. How many with your head bowed? You'd like for the Lord just to be able to project His Word on the screen of your life. You see, this screen up here behind me is not a television or a monitor that has the ability of picking up images and words and signals and pictures. It's just a screen. So it simply works off of reflection. So whatever we reflect from the projector is what it shows. It's the same way we are. We have no goodness. We have no, no good thing about us. All we can be is just screens that to reflect the grace of God. But we also know sometimes if it's really bright and the sun is, is behind us here in this image that the sun can come through in this window and it makes it kind of hard for you to see, I understand sometimes. So many times the world gets in our way, different things get in our way, and it affects the image. But may God help us today. You'd like to be remembered, you just raise your hand. I got both of mine up too. Can we just offer a word of prayer for each other if you would? I want you not only to pray for our assembly here today, but assemblies around the world, ministers, churches around the world. I know, friends, each of you are having your own trials and your problems, but I can tell you, as a brother who's in contact with men all over this world, you're not the only one. You know that. The people of God are going through such things everywhere. But let's just pray that God will strengthen us as His body. Lord Jesus, we want to move beyond our four walls here of Happy Valley today and bring the needs of your children before your throne. Lord, many different assemblies going through various things, even this very day, Lord. I pray, God, that you and your greatness would just help us. We don't ask you, Lord, to take trouble away from us. Because if we could see that image of the Lord Jesus reflected in the God-man, we would see pain, sorrow, scars, tear, agony, fear. We would see so many things in the great image reflected on the screen. So, Lord, we know you're not going to make our life free from trouble and heartache. And we don't ask for that. But we do ask for strength, grace, mercy, temperance, kindness, gentleness, godliness. We ask for these things in our lives, Lord. Make us more like you. Father, we don't want to just be like you and laying our hands on the sick and helping them to recover. But we want to be like you if a brother was to fall that we know how to restore. Many of us know how to take our sword and cut people down. We're one of the few armies that ever existed in time that kills their own wounded. When we have people that are wounded and people that get cold or indifferent or they fall in sin, many among our own ranks only push them down even further and run them down and spend time in gossip and hardly spend five minutes in prayer for them to be restored. Forgive us, Lord. We not only reflect the image of walking on water and healing the sick, but we want to reflect the deepest aspects of your character. And that is that you became a man for us.
Lord Jesus, help us as your children, I pray, that we can be like you. Lord God, that people can see the resurrected Christ in our lives. Forgive us our, our sins, our shortcomings, our failures, our faults, and we know that we have many. And we're longing for that day, Lord, when our bodies will be changed and be glorified and be brought into your presence. Help us today, Lord Jesus. If there's one here today missing the Holy Ghost or one that streamed the service, may the Spirit of God fall upon them now, Lord. May the token life of Jesus Christ be breathed into their soul. May they take the breath of life right here under this influence of this great presence this morning that we sense is near us. Grant it, Lord Jesus, we pray. We love you, Lord, with all of our hearts. Praise be to God. Sing something for us. Harry, let's just worship just a little bit before we go, can we? Been good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Yes, Lord. Open my eyes, let me see. Let me see.
you enjoy the word of the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. Let's just sing that little chorus some more as you're dismissed this morning. Feel free to stay and worship the Lord as long as you'd like this morning. Oh, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say.